And now we've come to the time for the sermon. It may seem short, and the crowd may seem small, but great things begin small. It reminds me, well, of years ago, because North River's been going more than 10 years. I have every confidence this room will fill, and we'll have the same problems in a good way. Good? Okay. Appreciate Arturo enormously because he's provided stability to Mexico and to many of our churches. You, if you're a member at North River, you've probably heard of AIM, which is a biblical training program. Arturo's had close to 400 graduates of his version of that program, uh, not only in Mexico and all the churches in Mexico, but in many parts of Latin America, Central America, Caribbean, and even Europe, uh, they've had students. And despite the challenges, and from my perspective as an outsider, I visit Mexico like every year or two, something like that, right, Arturo? But it, from my perspective, things are getting more and more challenging down there. But I don't see the joy significantly affected, and I don't see people backing off from the mission. And that is, to me, very encouraging. Usually when I preach, I begin with a little bit of sharing. For example, this week, Arturo and I went to Knoxville. Now, Knoxville is in Tennessee. Used about the state, but we went to the correct state. Knoxville Church, unbeknownst to us, they're taking up their special missions contribution today for Venezuela. So it was kind of a change, because originally my wife was coming, and then Arturo, but we, we did a world report together, and then he shared, and he knows the guy. He's friends with the guys, the guys in Venezuela, where things are just going crazy right now. It's very encouraging, very convicting. Um, we shared a lot and took all the questions from the crowd. And then we were walking. I don't know, some of you may smile at that. It was just some street art, but that word, metanoia, is the Greek word for repentance. So thought, we thought we would stop there. On the other hand, then we saw it's got, see the playing card and guitar and maybe dinosaurs. So maybe they think you have to repent from those things. I, I hope they're not like that, because uh, I like cards, just no gambling. So I'd like to begin with a travel update, or I, I, I just got back from Israel uh, this month as well. I have a lot to share, but today it won't fit in. That was our group this year. Some of you were there. Here's my co-leader, Steve Kennard, like Arturo and me. He's a teacher. He's an evangelist. But this is straight to the message. And the title is not particularly flashy. Where are you? Well, obviously, where am I? I'm, uh, I'm right in my seat today. I'm, uh, where am I? But that's, it's, a, it's a biblical passage. And it's coming from Genesis. And I will project the text on the screen so you can follow in the Bible there or in the very small part of the Bible on the screen. Why Genesis? Because it's the book I'm studying every day. Uh, because it's uh, a book I'm actually working on writing right now. And also, I'm putting daily tweets because I joined Twitter. I got serious about Twitter last week. Some of you may notice that I even have Instagram now. That's been going for a few weeks. So what does all this mean? Um, I don't know, what does it mean? It means I'm aging backwards like Benjamin Button? Probably not. It means I'm just becoming more and more cool the older I am. You can ch take your 
choice of either of those unlikely responses. The story of the creation is the story of Adam and Eve is well known. I'm kind of curious, how many of you were exposed to that story when you were children? I wouldn't expect it's everybody, but as children, 80% of the audience, maybe a little bit more. I remember when I first picked up Genesis, I was nine years old, and I read the first nine chapters, and then I stopped, because chapter 10 was a list of nations and things. But I do remember, I got very serious at the end of high school, so I, when I went to college, I was ripe for the plucking. The brothers invited me my second day at Duke University. I was baptized. But when I was just a kid reading Genesis, I wasn't wondering, oh, well, how does that fit with biology or the age of the universe? Or how come DNA and transfer RNA are not mentioned in the footnotes? Not at all. I'm reading Genesis, and I'm f starting to feel, I'm identifying with the text. I'm feeling a bit guilty. Adam? Oh, that's me. I'm the one hiding in the garden, feeling shame. Cain kills Abel. That's me, killing my little brother. I tried to kill him once. I, mean, I hit him on the head with a log. He had to go to the hospital. I hid in an inner room. Mother found me. But you read this, and you don't, it, you don't need a doctorate in Old Testament. You don't need to understand exactly the interface of faith and science. Fascinating as that is, just need to be somewhat receptive and somewhat observant, and there you go. Because truly, I was the one hiding in the garden. I was the one hoping that the Lord wouldn't find me. I was the one who killed his brother and preferred to make excuses rather than to take full responsibility. That was me. And I've always found I could identify very well uh, with many biblical characters, maybe you as, as well. We're actually invited to do that because Adam just means person. He just means man. You could actually just write a blank, fill in the blank with your name, my name. Eve, Chawa just means living. She's the mother of the living. It's kind of a generic, it's not even a generic name. It's not really the name you'd give to anyone, except now we do because we like the word Eve or Eva. But it's written that way in part so that we can all identify and not get the wrong idea. Well, today we're meeting in a room under renovation. That's appropriate because we're under renovation too. But I remember before we owned the property at North River, we would meet in many different facilities. One of those was a synagogue, a synagogue with stained glass windows. And on one of the windows, it said on the side, where are you? On the other stained glass window, it said, where is your brother? And I always thought those are great questions, and I often use those when I'm talking to people, and I wanted to do a sermon based on that, if that's okay. Now, so this is our, our main text. So let's look at this, and I think we'll see that these passages will certainly apply to us if we're Christians. But even those who are new to the idea of God, God's kingdom, obeying God, working for God's will, trying to live by the Bible, 
even if that's new to you, I believe you can identify with this just as, just as I did uh, long before um, I even became a Christian. We read Genesis 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, for context, they have disobeyed God. He just gave them one command, well, two, be fruitful and multiply, uh, take care of the garden. Okay, three, take care of the garden and stay away from one tree. And they did it. They did the wrong thing. And so when their eyes are opened, they hide. And Adam is uh, kind of apologizing. See, God, it's like God is the landlord. Adam is the gardener. He's in charge of all that. It's like God's his employer. And he realized, I was naked. Wouldn't want to dishonor my employer by coming to work naked. So he's hiding right there. His eyes have truly been open. They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. For the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, this idea of hiding from God, or trying to, is very easy to flesh out. Who among us does not play games sometimes? Hiding, being a bit evasive, giving a half-truth, leaving a wrong impression. Why do we hide? We don't hide because we're doing the right thing. We don't normally hide because we're trying to be modest. We hide because the truth as we would like it and the truth as it is are actually in conflict. You may be a mature Christian. What are you hiding from? Sometimes we actually do hide from people in the fellowship. You have a problem with someone and you see them coming and you're on the other side of the wall and you wait until they just come in the auditorium and you walk out and games like that can be played. We've caught this all on the video camera. It's all there. Ask the elders. They'll tell you I'm just making this up. Okay, I'm making it up. But we, we play these kinds of games. We've been given a responsibility. Ours is not to tend the trees in a garden, unless that's also your occupation. We have a mission to represent God on this planet. We have a mission to spread the message of God over this planet. We hiding from the mission? Have you been involved in helping someone become a Christian? Even just as a support player? Have you been sharing your faith this week? How long has it been since we've been in a Bible study? Mexico, they never stop. How about us? We can't just cheer for the good people of a distant country because that doesn't take the place of our own being involved. Because Christianity is not uh, for spectators, though sometimes we are a spectacle. Christianity is for players, it's for participants. We hide, we cover over sin, and there are consequences, but God asks us this deep question, where are you, where are we really? How are we doing? In the fellowship after, you can ask your friend, so where are you? Or you could say, how are you doing spiritually? Same thing. Where are we really? That is not my question to you. That's the Lord's question to me and to all of us and to all mankind or humankind. 
That is God's question to all of us. There are consequences. There are many consequences if we don't do what's right. Sin makes us guilty. Guilt is a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It's a state. It's a condition. We can be alienated from others. We don't feel close to people. Hard to trust. Separation from God. Sometimes, like Adam and Eve, we find someone else who's not doing well, and we kind of hide out with them, hoping we won't be discovered in the fellowship. Dishonesty about what we're really doing with all kinds of clever excuses. And of course, ultimately, we lose our access to immortality. And what do I mean by that? Well, they had free access to the tree of life, but not the tree of knowledge. The tree of life gave immortality. And Adam forfeits immortality. Do you want to live forever? You've seen tortoises that can live centuries. There's a shark that can live for 200 years. Actually, there's a shark that can live almost 400 years. Some trees live thousands. But I'm talking about for us humans. The Bible says we are, we are not going to live forever. You, you do not have an immortal soul. That's an interesting idea that kind of crept into the church long after the apostles were dead and could refute it. But we, we can live forever. It's a gift from God. But this couple are driven from the garden and separated from that possibility, unfortunately. Oh, there are many applications here, just as there are in the second question. And here, this is Cain killing his brother, and then the Lord finds Cain. And again, it's not that the Lord is unclear. Like, we did the roll call this morning, and we were one short. We thought you might be able to help us. This isn't what's going on. And this question is not just for Cain. It's for you and me. Where is your brother? And of course, we had the excuse of an answer, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, well, it depends what you mean. I mean, <laughs> biblically, no. I mean, we're adults. You can't control people. But in terms of caring and nurturing and giving good advice and so forth, yes, we are. Absolutely. We're responsible for one another. You can't say, I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to help other people. And if that's a new thought to you, read Ezekiel 33, the whole chapter, and then get back to me. Let me know if you still think that. You see, real friends don't influence people to turn away from God. They find their strength in God. We invest in relationships that last. We're, we're not our brother's keeper in one way, but we certainly are in another. And the Bible, the New Testament, speaks repeatedly of relationships between one another, or called one another relationships. We have those today. We have those in family groups. We have those throughout the week. The guilt that we feel, the guilt that we may feel, those twinges of conscience, if you're saying, yes, I've been hiding. This is not my finest year as a Christian, or something I need to get off my chest. Or actually, I think I'm going to keep hiding because my, my deception is pretty deep, and I wouldn't want to inconvenience anybody. But whatever we feel in conscience, that's a pointer towards God. It, you could be an atheist. You'll still have twinges of conscience. 
That's because the world you live in is moral. Good and wrong, good and evil are not just a matter of votes. It's just not a matter of opinion. Some things truly are good and evil, and when we go against what is good, we're designed to feel something. Those twinges point us to God. The world is sick. Sunday church is not just to make an improvement. It's like, have a better day. Be 2% more sensitive to your spouse this evening. You'll be 5% less lazy during the week. That's not what church is about. We come together, we come together not just to worship God, but because we need each other right here. The world is so sick. I read half a million people in Yemen with the war in Yemen, just south of Saudi Arabia. Half a million people have cholera right now. Counterfeit tuberculosis and malaria medications kill 100,000 people a year in Africa. 700,000 people a year die because they're giving counterfeit medication, fake medicine. That's what the world does today. That's what worldly churches do today. They give you fake medicine. You may feel better, but your condition is essentially uncured. 1.8, almost 2 billion people in our world drink water contaminated with feces. That's excrement. Almost 2 billion people, something like 27% of the planet, probably the greatest health risk there is. But when it comes to spiritual sickness, it's not just that, wow, thousands of people need God or millions are sick. It's the entire planet. 1 John 5, 19, it's the entire planet. Whole planet is in darkness. People are sick, not my opinion. You can verify it yourself, get in some conversations. We need solutions. The world solutions will fail. Kind of hoping it'll just go away. It won't go away. Well, I don't know about the afterlife, but if there is one, I'm sure I will be okay. Really? That doesn't sound like much of a strategy. Not to me. We hiding? Let's be honest. Okay, well, I'll add a little religion to my life just for insurance. Really? It's like adding a little marriage to your life just in case God does expect you to treat the opposite sex a certain way. You don't do that. That's a recipe for failure. Or, this is my favorite, if I feel guilty about something I've done, then I try to think of something that's even better than that thing was bad, and I do that to outweigh the evil. So why are you being all sweet this evening? Uh, it's because I was really undignified this morning. I, I shouted at somebody. And so I'm making it up, not to them, but I'll make it up to the world in a different way. And so we're constantly adjusting, trying to keep our moral scales balanced. It is a fool's errand. It doesn't work. It doesn't create the righteous life that God desires. So we need to decide not to hide, but to answer this question, where am I? Where is my brother? Do I care? And come into the light, just as in John 3. Search our hearts for negativity. Be open to the truth. It's hard to trust, but I promise you, there are people who can help you, probably in this room. And don't say, I'm just too old. I love this story. Maybe you saw it on, in, the, you know, in, the, in the press. She is almost 100 years old. Guess what she just did? Graduated from high school. You know, people say, well, it's just kind of a bit late for me because I'm already middle-aged. 
I can't really be a committed Christian. Well, I'm already starting to lose my mind. What chance do I have to add anything in? I, I can't even remember where I parked my car. Don't make these excuses, because excuses they are. It's not about age, although know that tomorrow is given. So as with the very sad case of Arturo's friend, we don't just say, well, I'll be fine, I'll do it later, because procrastination can actually be fatal. Anyway, this sweet woman inspires me with her perseverance, with, the, with her humility. So tomorrow, I would like you to remember the question that this sermon today dealt with. In our country especially, millions, and possibly even hundreds of millions, I don't know, will be looking up at this solar eclipse. I remember how excited I was as a 10-year-old to see my first solar eclipse. But this is really cool. Most people will sim simply look up and they'll think that's strange and won't give it another thought. But I think the intelligent thing is to ask what's really behind this whole show? What is really behind astronomy, life, biology? Is there a God? We're looking up. Let's keep looking up. And think of that question as we look up. God is asking us, where are you? And the point is not simply to answer the question or to somehow be improved intellectually, but to make a response, to respond to God. See, when God is in the garden and he's searching for us, his primary purpose is not to punish. His purpose is not to ruin us. It's to reclaim us. And if you want this to happen, don't do it on your own. Get into the Word of God. Church leader, 1,600 years ago. I really like the way he put this. Maybe you do too. He's from Italy, Ambrose of Milano. And what does he say? He says, as in paradise, referring to Eden, God walks in Scripture seeking a man. He asks you, as he asked me, where are you? And where is your brother? Let's make the application as we pray now before the communion. Lord, we know that you see through our games, attempts to press you, impress you or to impress our friends or to impress the church, whether through on Sunday or through pious answers to good questions. You know all of our tricks. You know how deceitful our hearts can be. But we don't want it to be that way. Lord, we pray that you help us to understand who we are and where we are and even why we are, why we are here on this planet. As we look up tomorrow, let us think of you, Lord, not just a star and a moon, but to think of the true God, so infinitely beyond. Lord, as we think of Jesus Christ, the one who showed us who you truly are, through the bread, through the